I'm Denzel Mohammed, and welcome back to Jobmakers. Perhaps the most special characteristic of the United States is its entrepreneurial spirit. Many immigrants grab onto that to innovate, start businesses, and create jobs. It is, in fact, a story as old as time, from Levi's jeans and Kraft cheese to SpaceX rockets and Gmail accounts. We take this as a given here in the U.S., but this is not something that exists everywhere. In many countries, there isn't the infrastructure to support entrepreneurship, and taking the risks to start a business is actually frowned upon. For Dr. Patrick Anquetil, immigrant from France and co-founder and CEO of Portal Instruments in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a clinical stage medical device company developing a needle-free drug delivery platform, there was no way he could have started a business like this in his home country at that time. Entrepreneurship was not viewed as a path to success. So he traveled to MIT, which he says gave him, quote, a sense of great possibilities as if he broke free. That freedom to innovate will lead, in Patrick's case, to a transformative patient experience in a needle-free world, something we can all be grateful for. But it could only have been conceived and created in a place that fosters an entrepreneurial spirit in its people, old or new, as you learn in this week's Jobmakers podcast. Patrick Anquetil, co-founder and CEO of Portal Instruments based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome to the Jobmakers podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, we love job creation. So uh, um, thank you for the opportunity. We love it too. Uh, So who is Patrick Anquetil and what is Portal Instruments? Sure. So uh, as you uh, probably can tell from my accent, I'm from France originally. Uh, I came to the U.S. about 20 plus years ago, uh, loved it and basically stayed. Uh, became an American citizen uh, as a result and uh, been delighted to be so. Uh, and uh, my background is I have a, um, uh, a degree, uh, several degrees actually, in, in engineering, mechanical engineering to be more precise. Uh, also went to business school, went to Harvard Business School where I got my MBA. Uh, and really what, what I like to do is actually create companies uh, and really make a contribution there to create uh, products or, or services that uh, have a high need and uh, hopefully uh, help make the world better. Uh, Portal Instruments is uh, the latest company I co-founded. Uh, it's a device uh, out of MIT uh, that can inject medicines without needles. So really solving a, a huge uh, problem uh, that's uh, clinically relevant, but uh, unfortunately overlooked actually by our industry. And so uh, that creates the environment for us to uh, uh, to be there and and change that. Yeah, you're going to have to explain how the 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 medicine becomes the needle. Um, That's so correct. I, I've known you for a long time and I've read a lot about you. And you've often associated being an immigrant with being an entrepreneur. Let's talk about that. The first part of that, being an immigrant. Uh, you said you you were here from France. What was life like growing up in your arrondissement in Paris? You know, it was great. I mean, I'm so. I think I was extremely fortunate. Uh, you know, I had a, a very blessed childhood. Uh, I lived in a very nice area in Paris. Uh, you know, uh, not too far away from the Eiffel Tower. Uh, and um, yeah, I think I think um, at the same time, though, um, the idea to create a company was as remote as I could imagine. Uh, I always thought that this was something for someone else. Uh, that this is stuff that you read basically uh, in the newspapers, you know, in, in 
profiles, but certainly, you know, with a French context at the time, there was no way, you know, I could be that guy or that guy who had started a company. Um, and then I came to the U.S. and that really changed. And I realized that actually um, anyone can do it. And in fact, that's really uh, the centerpiece of it in that you realize, well, gee, you know, if she can do it, so can I. Right. And I think I think the the, the role of role models is so important. Uh, and I think really at the time in France, there were no role models actually at all. Uh, in fact, if if you had started a company and done really, really well, uh, it was almost frowned upon that there was something malicious, uh, you know, about you, that you had maybe had a shady past, so to say. Uh, of course, this is, you now we're talking, you know, 30, 40 plus years ago, if I, probably 40 plus years ago, uh, and it's changed quite radically now. But but I think at the time, uh, it, it it was true that there, there was no true role models as we have today that I could associate with. And I always thought starting a company would be something for someone else. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy, yes. How could you yes. not encourage entrepreneurship and, and innovation and job creation? So you're thrice over an immigrant because you first moved to study in Switzerland and then you spent time in Japan. And then, of course, as you said, 20-something years ago, you moved to the U.S. What were those experiences like? Very disparate sort of places, right? Yeah, you know, I think what's interesting, they all had the same thing in common that you had to be on your own and be responsible, right? You, you um, what I actually loved about the experience in Zurich, um, I, I was tremendously fortunate that I knew uh, German because my mother is German, so I had no issue studying in German. Um, and I'm still amazed to this day that my parents supported actually that idea. Um, and I mean, it, it wasn't trivial. I mean, you, I, I mean, at the time, again, it's, this was pre-internet, you know. Uh, and so, moving to another country was was actually quite an adventure. And um, and I think as a result, because my parents gave me so much trust, um, there was just no way I was going to come back. And so, it had to be successful. I had to find a way to be successful. And I think that is the immigrant story. Uh, and it's the same thing in Japan. I mean, I remember, believe it or not. Um, Arriving, you know, after like, uh, you know, I, th I think it's a 13 hour flight, you know, from Zurich, arriving in Tokyo and finally making it to my uh, dorm room and it was dark and actually literally crying <laughs> the first day. Like, what am I doing? And then you wake up the next day and it's like, okay, no, time's up, you know, back to work, you know, and, and you got to figure it out and uh, and make it happen. And so uh, I, I think that's the immigrant story. I think, I think that's what makes it unique. And so if you compare it with entrepreneurship, it is a form of entrepreneurship as well. Um, it happens to, it, to be the entrepreneurship of you. And then I think those lessons are, you know, conversely, can be also applied when you start your own company, right? It's the same thing. I mean, failure is not an option. Uh, and you're going to try to make it work because there is no turning back, right? Uh, and so I, th I think that's those, it is no question that those experiences really uh, transformed me and probably made me want to be an entrepreneur as a result. Wow. And fluent in, in in German, fluent in English, fluent in French. You learned a little bit of Japanese too. I read that you taught yourself English by reading Dungeons and Dragons books. Oh my God, that's true. I'm, I'm amazed you know that. That's 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 really true. That is very unique. Most people, you know, <laughs> will say MTV or Michael Jackson, things yeah. like that. Um, but I did read that you sort of you always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but as you mentioned, the ecosystem in France at the time didn't allow for that or dissuaded that. Um, 
And when you started your doctorate at MIT, you said people were starting businesses left and right. And you felt a great sense of a sense of great possibilities. You felt like you broke free. Explain that. Well, there were many things actually going on. I think I think what made the US the, the, the thing also I remember vividly from those days is how in the US it's almost the ultimate um immigrate immigrant story because no one's got your back. You know, plus it's uh, you know, I, I had no family here on top of that. Um so it's interesting and it's um you know, and, and maybe some people people can be different, but I think for me, having no safety net kind of was liberating in a way because it meant that there was only one path. It's interesting. The safety net is great, but it's also a distraction as well because now you're focusing on the safety net instead of focusing on what you're building. Um, and so with that in mind, with that context in mind, I also felt that at the time at MIT, this was during the, the dot-com boom, everyone was starting companies left and right. And um, and so there were role models that were there that you could actually talk to and, and observe. Um, and in fact, it was almost the opposite that if you weren't starting something, then there must be something wrong about you, right? It kind of was more the, the odd thing that you didn't do anything uh, versus uh, versus uh, the opposite. So so I think I think that environment was actually quite quite unique as well. Uh, on campus, there were a lot of there was a lot of support uh, for those types of uh, endeavors. Uh, there was, of course, the, the business plan competition, which was the the, the MIT 50k at the time. Now it's the the, 10, the 100k, I guess, or maybe even more. You know, inflation is is real even in that in that uh, sector, I guess. Um, and there were also courses that you could take or classes you could take. There were you know after uh, after hours activities actually as well. So so there was a whole ecosystem there too to support it. In a recent episode, I interviewed a guy called Aki Balog from Hungary who founded a, a tech marketing company called Market Muse. And he said, 50% of a startup is emotional control. Given yes. your experience, do you agree I think with it's that? 100%, not 50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's, it's um, you know, I th- I th- first of all, one thinks that it's like the hockey stick, right? So all the J-curve at its core. So, you know, like you basically, you go into the, the negative and then woof, you sort of, you know, shut out as an exponential out. That's really the myth. The reality is more, it's a constant up and down. And it's like, you know, for one up, you get three down. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, it really becomes a, an exercise in managing your own psyche. And then as CEO or someone from the, the, the senior team, really it's important to show how those ups and down don't phase you, that, you know, you don't panic. Uh, because of course everyone's looking at you if, if you're the leader of the company. Um, so I think I think interestingly, um, a lot of it is not being too emotional about uh, the challenges and and being, you know, I guess thoughtful, you know, by lack of a better word. You know, it's it's more opposed and realize that look, this is just another problem. We're going to solve it, and this is what we do. So let's bring it into today. Portal instruments. Uh, I saw some pretty alarming statistics about needles. Um, that across the world, there are about 10 million people who contract some form of disease because of an incident involving a needle, that the CDC puts needle fare at 25% of among U.S. adults. I'm about 20 of that 25%. Um, and that needle phobia accounts for about 10% of COVID vaccine hesitancy in the U.K. My, 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 there's a yeah. problem. It's crazy. And, and by the way, we've done our own surveys. It's even worse in our sample than you what you just described. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. We ran a survey. Um, this was back in uh, in September. 400 US respondents 
uh, we had a 30% uh, not vaccinated rate, which is you know, pretty good. I think in a population was a bit worse than that, maybe for around 40% at the time, but still, you know, kind of directionally the same. We asked that 30%, well, gee, you know, if you had an ill-free option, uh, would you have done it? And uh, we had 45% who said yes. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I, I, even I was very, you know, enthusiastic and, you know, believer in what we do. Really? I would have guessed, you know, five to 10% max, you know, so, so very high. And then we asked the 70% that was vaccinated um, if they would have spent $10 for a needle-free option. Uh, and then we had 70% who said yes. The pharmaceutical industry is really measured, you know, from, from an FDA regulatory perspective, really only on two measures, which is safety and efficacy, right? And those two metrics uh, don't really involve what the patients feel in terms of the experience, right? And I think we look at this as there's a screaming opportunity. Uh, if you can introduce an orthogonal metric uh, around patient preference, uh, patient tolerance, uh, ease of use, it's typically you'd be ridiculed to look at patient convenience as uh, something driving basically a healthcare product. It's safety and efficacy, and that's it. To me, this, this highlights how we've got, again, a, a clinically relevant problem that's completely overlooked uh, as well. And I think it's important to change that, in particular with newer medicines being predominantly administered via needle and syringes. Um, there is a huge burden that's there for the patient. There's also a huge burden on society around how you dispose of those needles, uh, you know, these are contaminated. Um, a friend of mine runs parks in recreation at, uh, in, in Boston. And once in a while, you, you would know you're from Boston, they clean the, uh, uh, the muddy river. Uh, and you would think that they'd get maybe one or two syringes, one, uh, you know, like throughout that course. It's bags of syringes. Oh, no. It's, of, it's crazy. And, and it's striking that no one talks about that, you know. And I think the fact that we've got devices that kill people, uh, most of them, are, of course, happen in, in the developing world, unfortunately. Um, but it's not uncommon for, in particular, the medical staff to get exposed to uh, pathogens via a, um, an accidental needle prick. Uh, it happens so many, so many times. Uh, and I think in this day and age, that should not, not happen actually at all. You've been to our offices. You know, On our wall, it says a needle-free world. And that's truly what the aspiration is of the, the company. Um, we will focus first on you know, chronic diseases, um, high-value therapies um, that really drive you know, tremendous benefits to patients. We want to help them, those patients further for, for them suffering from chronic diseases, make the burden of the injection uh, less, uh, less of a burden and, and something just, you know, just more easy to use, uh, do the injection and then go on with your life. Don't have to worry about you know, getting someone uh, accidentally you know, pricked with the, the syringe and, and so on. So when do you when do you see this happening? Where do you see yourself in five or ten years? I think I think in five to ten years um, we will have a few of those you know um, I would say you know powerful therapies uh, you know for chronic diseases uh, will be on the market. Um, I think one area I'm extremely interested to have an impact on is vaccination um, because you know this this needle free world uh, vision you know pretty pretty much won't happen until. Uh, you know, we can address vaccination, which is a, a bit of a different device. It's a device that can be used across multiple patients uh, and uh, also one that's going to be in office and so on. Uh, one for which we need to find a way not just to have one manufacturer's vaccine 
compatible with the device, but actually all vaccines should be compatible with this device actually as well. So, so we're not there yet from a deal-making perspective, also from an, an FDA perspective actually as well. Um, but because everyone uh, in a developed world, you know, has multi has had multiple shots in their lives. Uh, some get it now, you know, every year with the, the flu, who knows with COVID, maybe it's twice a year that you need a vaccination. It's still early, too early to tell. So I think, I think this is, um, to me, this is the easiest way for us to have an impact is to basically solve this, this problem. So in 10 years, uh, I hope we become the standard for vaccination. I remember seeing kids faint or allegedly faint when they when they got shots. Nurses had to whip out the smelling salts. Yes, um, that, that's this is all true, actually. Yeah. On behalf of all the millions and millions of people out there who who resent and fear needles, please, we, we I wish for your your continued success. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. The next device <laughs> needs the next device needs to do blood draws. Now you spoke a little bit earlier about how being an immigrant and, and being an entrepreneur sort of align with each other. And you talked about not having a safety net. And an American probably, listening to this, probably wouldn't understand. Like, describe that fear of not having a safety net or, or thrill, as it in, in, in your case, perhaps, of having to do, of having nothing to rely on, so you must do it yourself. Um, from a from a visa status, I mean, um, so I, I've had uh, quite a few H-1Bs and I got a green card through one of uh, the companies I started and then I became a U.S. citizen. That was kind of my journey. Um, with the H-1B, I mean, first, nowadays, it's actually a lottery to get it, which wasn't the case during my time. Um, so so that's, you know, step one is a bit of chance that's there as well. Um, and then, you know, if, if you get, uh, you know, fired, uh, then... Uh, You've got to almost immediately find another job, uh, or your H-1B basically cannot expire, so to say. It's a bit more complicated than that, but but it's, you, you got to find some always place to land very quickly. Uh, and it's, at least at the time, it used to be a little bit red. I actually don't know what it is today. Uh, so I had friends actually to whom that happened, and they had to return back to their home. So I think the maybe some some of us, I guess, now Americans, you know, don't maybe realize that, but um, they are they are kind of consequences uh to failure right and and, and i think that in turn though also acts as a motivator to do two things i think one is to do of course a good job but one is to also create a situation where you have options right that you never in a situation where this is kind of the last resort and you have to leave it sounds like a luxury to have options as someone who has been through the immigration yep. system yep. i i i there weren't really many options. There was it was just one or, or nothing. It, it it felt like that, and that uncertainty really yeah. does a, a a number on your brain and yeah. and your emotional state. Um, yeah, definitely, and I, th I think yeah, I want to emphasize. I mean, uh, I think what you describe is 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 exactly my experience as well. So you said you you hold both French and American citizenship. Congratulations on becoming an American citizen, by the way. Um, can someone be patriotic to or love? two countries at once could that be a thing you know i think i think it's interesting i think first of all to me and, and to my french uh compatriots uh, i would probably be shocking but i think i was an american all my life i just didn't know it until i came here uh i i, I think i think i feel much more american and i feel french huh? and to me the association with countries is more cultural right what do you have in common what do you associate with um and and what I love about America um, is that you know is it's um, there's no limit, right? There is um, 
you know you can be anyone and i think i think it's probably more a state of mind than really reality and but that's that's enough you know and i think i think it 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 the the spirit is is so strong in 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 such a crucial thing in what we do um and so this gross mindset that you've got in the us uh you know from the founding fathers you know to, up to now and it it's 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 still there i think i think it's a uh, it's it's a commonly agreed upon uh, ethos i think that we have as americans that is radically different than in france and and again i'm i'm don't spend enough time there anymore so i just don't know and i may hopefully not offend too many people there but i think i think the gross mindset is limited in france if not non-existent you know if you're a little bit sanguine um i i think you know from a um a cultural standpoint you know the the success is not a good thing um if you're successful first of all you shouldn't brag and if you're successful uh yeah you shouldn't brag because people get jealous very easily um and if you're successful that's probably because you stole from someone else right it's it's a zero sum game you're good so someone else probably suffered because of you there's nothing wrong against this but i just didn't want to live my life there for that reason and i love friends i think uh i saw in spirit i was just closer to the american spirit and that's why i'm here you know i think it's it's wonderful that we have this path i think as uh immigrants to be accepted in this country uh as who we are and uh i think i think we need to keep that uh and cherish that i think as americans it, it is really unique um um you know oftentimes i think societies are much more afraid i think of of other cultures versus this here you come as you are and you become an american and that melting pot so to say is what makes us all americans as well as a result because that's how the country you know it it's not by mistake it, it just or coincidence it just happened over over you know the centuries right it's 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 an immigrant country i think it always will be and we need to keep that keep that in mind and i, th- I think that's also what makes our strengths actually as well so that brings me to my final question why is it important to be welcoming immigrants who come here have a tremendous desire to succeed because they came here against all odds huh? and they want to succeed and i think because of that they have an ethos and values that they they want to contribute to that can only make the country better and and that's why i think immigrants are so so important um hard working great values and yeah they want to help the country as a result become better as well very well said Patrick Anquetil, co-founder and CEO of Portal Instruments. Thank you for joining us on the Jobmakers podcast. This was really a delight talking to you. Thank you Denzel for having us. Jobmakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, think tank in Boston and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thanks for joining us for this week's incredible story of one immigrant's innovation and entrepreneurship. If you know a similarly outstanding immigrant business owner or innovator we should talk to, email Denzel, that's D E N Z I L at jobmakerspodcast.org. I'm Denzel Mohammed. See you next Thursday at noon for another Jobmakers. Jobmakers.